0: Well, good morning, and thank you so much, Elder, for starting us off in a good way with that prayer, and thank you all for for being here today. Uh, I think it's an amazing occasion. We had a, a, another uh, announcement much like this yesterday with sutina We're following up today. So thank you, Umki Tapi, Elder a. Francis butch wolf for the prayer to the creator. I'd also like to begin by acknowledging that we're gathered on... Treaty 7 territory, the sacred ancestral home of the Siksika Nation and the Blackfoot Confederacy, who have a long-standing and enduring history with this land. The Blackfoot people have always lived and hunted on this traditional territory. And I'm grateful to Chief Horry Crowfoot and Council for being here today and partnering with us on this announcement. As you can see, I'm joined by Minister Dan Williams, who has an incredibly important mandate to continue building Alberta's recovery-focused model for addiction and mental health care. You'll see also we have our Minister of uh, Seniors, Community, and Social Services, Jason Nixon, uh, and our Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, Mike Ellis. Am I missing any of my other ministers? Okay. Uh, And we also have Joseph Scow. He's our Minister of uh, Tourism and, and Sport, but he's here today because he is also the MLA representing Carson Sixica. The illness of addiction... Continues to have devastating impacts across Alberta. While each death is a tragedy for the families and loved ones left behind, entire communities are often left grieving. This is something First Nations know all too well. First Nations people across Alberta face some of the highest risks for overdose deaths, and access to land based, culturally safe addiction treatment services is often limited or missing completely. This is unacceptable. We must do more to enable people to get the help they need to pursue recovery. And that's why our government is actively working with First Nations to address these challenges and fund these projects directly. Today, I'm proud to announce that Alberta's government is signing a Memorandum of Understanding with Siksika Nation to develop a new recovery community on Siksika lands. With an investment of up to $30 in capital, this new 75-bed recovery community will provide holistic addiction treatment services for up to 300 people every year. And once building is complete, Alberta's government will also fully fund the operations of the recovery community so that no person is forced to pay out-of-pocket for life-saving care. Today's MOU marks a milestone in our government's relationship with the with Siksika Nation. Developing a recovery community with Siksika Nation and other First Nations is an important step towards increasing access to long-term addiction treatment that meets the needs of First Nations. Today's announcement is the most recent example of our ongoing efforts to work side by side with First Nations. As I mentioned, yesterday we announced a recovery community to build with Sutina, and work is already underway with uh, Kainai, uh, the Blood Tribe, and uh, Enoch Cree Nation to build recovery communities on their lands. This collaboration is part of a monumental shift in the way addiction treatment is provided in Alberta, where everyone is able to get help and support that they deserve to pursue recovery. I wholeheartedly believe there is there is a better life for everyone who chooses recovery and that recovery is possible for everyone. I look forward to working with our partners at Sixika Nation in the months ahead as, as this new facility takes shape. Before closing, I'd like to once again thank, uh, thank Chief Crowfoot for partnering with us on this important project. Chief.
1: Sure. <clears throat> Happy to. Well, thank you, Premier, for those comments. Uh, and thank you again, Chief uh, and Council who are here. For the work you have done leading up to this moment. Uh, This is an incredibly important moment uh, for the Government of Alberta, partnering with SICSICA on uh, what is going to be uh, the start of the Alberta model uh, recovery system, uh, recovery oriented systems of care, where we are focusing on working and integrating directly with local communities, in this case, Partnering with, um, First Nation, Siksika, to, to build this recovery center. So this memorandum of understanding is incredibly important for us moving forward. Before I move on, I want to thank, um, Buck, particularly, Councillor, uh, Buck Breaker, for the work, where is it behind me on my right, for the work he's done on the, uh, Calgary Public Safety and Emergency Response Task Force. Uh, I'm going to be chairing that task force going forward. And I know my colleague, uh, Minister Ellis has already played an important part in getting us to this This place we're at today, and it's going to be partnerships like this that create success for us in our communities. Our vision in the province of Alberta is to see a place where every single Albertan has immediate access to treatment and the opportunity to pursue recovery as soon as they desire it. And so um, this is particularly the case. We see disproportionately First Nation communities are affected by the deadly diseases of addiction within the province of Alberta. Uh, and it's our responsibility, I believe it's my responsibility morally, uh, for this government to step in and support immediately without waiting for the federal government to find these supports directly um, on the land, directly uh, connected to the people of Siksika to make sure that they are supported right away. For many people, this is the only opportunity they have to find some sort of support when they're drowning in this disease uh, and this illness of addiction. To find that support um, through uh, holistic, integrated uh, community is incredibly important. So our vision here is to make sure that um, we have a holistic, long-term and supportive safe environment for those who are getting treatment for addiction. And that's important because addiction doesn't just affect the physical health and the well-being of an individual. It also impacts relationships, it affects the work, it often erodes a person's sense of self and connection to family and community and to their heritage. And that's why it's so important that this facility is going to be integrated directly uh, with and operated with the community of Siksika. We're going to be working on rebuilding those connections, uh, creating healthy communities um, amongst our partners. And it's going to be an important step forward. This is one of 11 facilities across the province that we're building. This MOU represents the the work that we're going to be starting immediately afterwards, right after this meeting, to find a site, um, to build out this facility. um, And we're hoping that uh, we're expected to start in early 2024 uh, to be complete if if we're lucky and keep moving forward at the pace that we have been. And this means hundreds of lives uh, and hundreds of Siksika members are going to get treatment. Of course, this will be open to all members of the public as well. Anyone that needs support in this province, the government is committed to supporting them. So in conclusion, I just want to say how grateful we are to be signing this uh, with the chief uh, council for the work they've done. This is the start of a long relationship that I know will be productive. Uh, to make sure that the, the Alberta model, where we're looking at recovery from addiction as the priority of this province, uh, is going to be uh, something that we can uphold and support our First Nation um, members in, in the province as well. So, with that, I'll turn it over to you, Chief. Thank you for the time.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, okay, historical Nookske stomach, uh, Chief Orae Crowfoot, Sixzigay Nation. I'd like to thank the Premier as well as the. Uh, the ministers for working with Sixiga on uh, these initiatives. I, um, the council sitting behind me, that's our public safety task force at Sixiga. Um, you know, um, when Maslow came to Sixiga back in the uh, night, early 1900s, he developed his hierarchy and needs based on the ways of Sixiga people. And some of those hierarchies is you know, you have to have safety, security, shelter. They have to have those basic needs met first. If you don't have those basic needs met first, a lot of times you're not worried about, uh, you know, an investment plan or, or a long term future. You're trying to get through today. And uh, our safety team behind us is working with the ministers here and other ministers within the province to help create a better, a safer Sixya guy. And a safer sixaga guy also is makes our people feel that that sense of safety. A lot of times, drug use is um, is a is a side effect of of trauma that took place, or not feeling safe, or not feeling secure. And Sixty God is the second largest First Nation in Canada, and we're only a few um, kilometers away from Calgary. So you know, if you have an area that you don't have a policing, you don't have a, a public safety area, uh, you know, you have drug dealers and you have people that come from uh, larger. Municipalities such as Calgary, Lethbridge, all over Canada, and they feel safe in these areas that they know that there's no policing. And so these are some of the initiatives that we're working with with the province of, of Alberta. You know, we've had far too many people from Sixty Guy, and not just Sixty Guy, but Southern Alberta, um, pass away in the last few years of o- overdose, of, 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 of drug abuse, of, of alcoholism. And um, these, this issue's not gonna go away. You know, it's not one that we can put our head in the sand and, and hope that it's gonna go away on its own. This is a worldwide pandemic. And you know, we see our people, a lot of people at Guy and, and the nations that he mentioned, Sarsi and, and, and Enoch and the Blood Tribe, a lot of times it's, it's getting into those facilities in Calgary, we have large wait times. So this is why having that nation, that facility on the nation, will help our people to get in those facilities in that critical window that they need to get into that that facility. But uh, like like the minister mentioned, it will also be open for southern Alberta as well. So, you know, I'm a strong believer is the stronger we make Sixi the safer we make Sixi at home, it's going to go outward. You know, it's going to the safer Calgary's going to be. You know, we get those public safety, we get those police, and we get all those, those uh, building blocks in place. This is one big step towards a lot of steps of building that strong foundation that we're building at Sixty Guy, a strong sound foundation that our people can feel safe. Our people feel safe, they feel secure, they have that sense of esteem. You, you have all those things in place, drug use goes down. Alcohol use, use goes down. And, and again, we're going to start that at home. And I do feel that if we start that at home and we have a strong, secure, safe Sixty Guy, it's going to spread out surrounding communities, Alberta, and I'm a strong believer as far as Alberta goes, Alberta leads the country. And that's why we've shared a lot of initiatives. We've got a lot of initiatives in play with the minister, and and I do thank her and her team for working with Six Guy on uh, mutual beneficial. These aren't just one-sided relationships. These are relationships that are helping all of Alberta and all of Canada. So, again, we look forward to this treatment center. We do think it's one big major step towards uh, helping our people safe and helping the rest of Alberta being safe. So thank you, uh, Premier, and thank you, Minister, and the rest of your ministry as uh, we move forward for a brighter Sixi and a brighter Alberta. Thank you. Chief.
0: Thanks so much. Well said, Chief. And now we'll sign the MOU.
3: We'll now get into our media Q&A here for just taking questions in person. We have a mic at the back of the left to your room here. If you want to make your way towards it, we'll be going with one question and one follow-up. And please state your name and outlet uh, at the mic, please. And thank you.
0: Jonathan Bradley, Western Standard. You demanded an apology from CBC for their story about the Kootz incident and they issued a retraction. Why do you consider it a case closed when they didn't issue an apology? I think that they expressed regret, which I appreciate, and I'm I'm glad that they uh, acknowledged that their story was incorrect, so I do feel vindicated, and I want to make sure the, that I have a good relationship with the with the media. The media has important work to do, which is why when they make mistakes like that, they, they should correct them. They should correct, correct them quickly so that the public can continue to have confidence that what they're reading is true. Because I think what happened is a lot of other media just assumed that CBC had done its due diligence. And so a lot of media compounded the error. So I think that this is just an advi- advisory for everyone. And my only expectation is that we have fair, accurate and balanced news coverage, and I, I hope that uh, the CBC does better in the future, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hold them to that. This story came out soon before the Alberta election. Do you believe it was intended to cause maximum political damage to you? Why or why not? Well, it uh, the, the sad part was that when I, I told them that they were in error, um, they took so long to uh, to, to issue a, an apology and a correction um, even during the election, when it was pretty clear from the uh, investigation that uh, that the uh, Marguerite Tressler had done that there was no uh, direct correspondence with my office and any Crown prosecutors, they could have chosen then to issue a correction. They chose not to. It's been five weeks post-election, so I suppose it's better late than never. But uh, I think that media has to be very mindful that when they make these kinds of allegations, the story has to be fair, it has to be accurate, it has to be balanced And when they are wrong, they need to correct quickly.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. And uh, we'll go to our next question at the mic here. Uh, For the Premier, Kevin
4: from Global TV. uh, Premier, the latest provincial email dispatches for opioid poisoning reached new highs in Calgary Calgary and Edmonton for the last week of June. What is the province's response to action plan to deal with drug poisoning now?
0: It is a, a real tragedy that we've been watching ever since... Fentanyl entered the the, the streets in in our province. We've seen an elevated number of overdose deaths. And and Narcan is sort of the first line of defense. It seems uh, from what our early indication is, is that this uh, particular drug on the market now is mixed with the tranquilizer and it's making Narcan less effective. And as a result, more ambulance calls are needed. So uh, I have obviously a team that is working on this, led by Dan Williams, our, our Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, to see if there is anything more that we can do from a therapeutic point of view to, to look at this uh, new particular combination. And, and, and this is this is the answer that we have. We We do not believe that there is such a thing as a safe supply of opioids. We believe that We have to make sure that we have pathways for people to get out of this terrible addiction. And we're just beginning our recovery-oriented system of care. Red Deer started receiving patients in the last couple of months. I'm hopeful that with uh, the announcement today and the others that we've done, that we'll be able to get more treatment facilities faster. But we need to get people out of this uh, deadly addiction. Let me just see if um, Minister Williams wants to comment.
1: I'll just uh, start by thanking all the emergency responders. They play an important and integrated role in our response uh, in terms of health care, in terms of saving lives. Uh, so to each of them, I know I was speaking to one yesterday in Calgary who's asking us, please, can you do more to try and deal with this deadly disease of addiction? And that is the crisis. It's that deadly disease of addiction, and it's ravaging communities. We heard it this morning um, in the Chief, and we hear it every day. So uh, as the Premier said, we're looking at next steps and what to do, particularly from a therapeutic perspective. Um, and on a long-term perspective, we need to get these recovery centers up and running. We need to continue down a recovery response. The Alberta model is not trying to hide away from this, this continuing growth increase of those who are addicted. And we know when someone's addicted to opioids, there are two end games, right? Tragically, there's an emergency response possibility and hopefully an, uh, an overdose that results in a life saved. Um, or there's recovery. Those are the only two outpaths. And so we're going to focus on solving that problem.
4: And so just as a follow-up for either of you, um, you have heard from groups and you're specifically targeting um, needs that they have right now. Correct? Pardon me, we've heard from who? Like um, harm reduction and treatment groups, what they're saying and you're going to target what they, their needs are right now?
1: Absolutely. I'm going to be attentive to the, to the stakeholders we have. We, list, we listen regularly to those from the front lines who are dealing in recovery every single day, uh, who are dealing with this deadly disease of addiction. We're, we're going to be very responsive to that. I'm happy to commit to that. Thank you.
2: Okay.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Keith Driver from eighty. 80- 88.1 CJWE. Uh, my question is for Chief Crowfoot and Minister Willis. Um, can you just elaborate a little more on how these facilities with, between Alberta Health Services and Siksika Health Services are going to be expanding the partnership with this facility? Sure, I'll I'll start. So the partnership uh, with the Memorandum of Understanding is to start the construction. We're going to have to build this facility first. 75 beds. There's going to be spots for men and women and divided proportionally according to the need that we have. Uh, And uh, that's hopefully going to get underway um, so that we can start next year. There will be some work we need to do in advance before we can sign uh, and get it underway construction. So the operations of it afterwards are going to be integrated. We're going to work very, very closely um, with uh, their public safety team behind us to make sure that this is sensitive and holistic as a response with the First Nation itself, and it's going to be blended. And it's going to be one tool in the toolbox that we'll have between the work that Alberta Health Services does, of course, a lot within that. But the entire government has lots of programming. Um, and obviously the details and exactly how it's going to be operated are going to be things we're going to figure out through the normal procedures
2: as we go down the road. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Chief? Yeah, I do. Um, we're not going to just throw out a handbook of everything that's, that's already been in place till now. But there are things that are specific to say, sixty guy that might be uniquely different than Enoch or the blood tribe or Sarsi, and so it's incorporating those things. You know, the the, the model of the uh, x amount of days in and and out obviously is not working. So you know, we can't keep doing what's not working and expect to get results. So you know, we're going to incorporate what we feel like are working within the current system, mm-hmm. and then incorporate some of the traditional. Um, aspects of uh, being a 6 gig one that, that are um, hopefully going to um, benefit our people. And so we'll take that data, and as it as it goes, we'll, we'll morph it up if we have to. But, but you know, again, we're going to take some of the things that are working within the current system and then some of the things that our traditional people feel like will be applicable, and we'll combine the two. Right. Thank you.
4: Rick Bell, Post Media. Um, Premier, um, on the CBC story, as it was happening, as it was being reported, as it was being written and broadcast uh, day after day after day, at that time, in real time, can you describe for us how you were feeling then, back back then, as as this was going on? Not how you're feeling now. Now you're feeling mm-hmm. vindicated. But how did you feel when you were in the middle of the of the hurricane?
0: Well, I can tell you it wasn't just me. I mean, the CBC was defaming me. They were defaming my premier's office staff. They were de- defaming the independent members of the of the nonpartisan public service. They were defaming the crown prosecutors. They were causing uh, lack of trust in the process of, of administration of justice. They're creating turmoil <laughs> in our caucus, uh, and they were and to, and my and I think they uh, ultimately created distrust in the media because the 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 the, the general public. Look to the media as a trusted source. Yes, to hold government to account, but also to be printing information that's true. And they didn't in this case. And I wish that they had uh, corrected the record more quickly. But uh, at least they have, and that's why I feel vindicated today.
4: And I'm going to sneak in. It's kind of a quick two part, but you'll probably have very short answers for each. You know how I am, a bit sneaky. Uh, If this had not occurred, if CBC had not uh, done what they did yesterday, would were you prepared? You sent a notice of defamation. Were you prepared to go to the distance if necessary to get the vindication that you have now? And and number two, very quickly, the NDP are still calling for an independent investigation into all of this. So if you could respond to both of those very quickly.
0: Uh, On the first case, I would say I'm glad it didn't come to that point. Uh, I think it's it's pretty clear after all of the work that, that we did to try to track down the false information that they reported, it's very clear they had nothing. And I'm glad that they ultimately finally recognized that and it didn't have to go further. And I would like to reset my relationship with the CBC and all the media. Uh, I, I said, As I said, I just expect fair, accurate, balanced reporting. And I, I don't expect it to always go our way, but I think that there has to be more balance, more fairness, and and certainly uh, facts have to be at the at the heart of, of news reporting. As for the NDP, they're clearly uh, political, and uh, and I will just leave it to the to the public to judge. But I I'm focused on the things that I think Albertans want us to be focused on. This is a, an historic relationship that we are are building and expanding with our First Nations communities. Um, I'm I'm. As as I said before, we can't can't just wait for the federal government to to do these important important things. This is important for not only the nations within the Alberta Territory, but also the the broader impact to the the broader community. And so these are the things that I think that that government should be focused on, something I I wish that the, uh, uh, the official opposition was more focused on, and it's certainly something I believe that the public is focused on. That's where we're going to put our
3: efforts. Thanks, Rick. And we'll go to our next question at the
1: mic. Uh,
0: Good morning. It's uh, John from the Strathmore Times. Uh, My question is largely for uh, Minister-in-Chief, but Premier, if you want to chime in, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'd like to get a sense of just, uh, Minister, you mentioned um,
3: the start of the project uh, next year. I want to get a sense largely of if there's a rough idea when this is going to start uh, uh, as far as groundbreaking and how long the project uh, might take to complete, uh, as well as if you could talk a little bit more about the budget for the facility.
1: Sure. So uh, as Premier mentioned, it's approximately $30 million for the, for the capital on that. Um, and we're going to be working closely uh, with uh, the Chief and obviously uh, his council, particularly the Public Safety Committee on it. We're expected to begin in 2024, hopefully early 2024. Some work needs to be done in advance to be getting to the spot where we can start to break ground, make sure that moving forward um, in the logistical way appropriate. And normally these projects, it will depend, of course, we're going to take, as the Chief said, what works. Um, there are other facilities already underway and built, so we're going to take what we can from that so we have uh, as little changing as possible, but we're going to need to make sure that that works with the community, with something specific to an Indigenous community, specific to Sixica. So uh, that could take anywhere from 12 to 18 months um, uh, for it to be complete and ready to be taken over by whoever's operating it. Um, and from there, we got right there, after that 12 to 18 months it's complete, we we have Albertans and Siksika members in treatment right away. But that starts with a smaller group. Um, maybe we start with a, just over a dozen or 20 or so, even though we can get up to 75. It's community-oriented care. So that means this is the kind of thing that scales up over time. We can't just get it to 75 right away. Um, we need to have folks going through this program uh, so they can shepherd others along. And there's going to be life skills that are learned in this program, financial skills. There's going to be work that they would do in the program. Of course, we're going to see them transfer out of that um, into work in the community, um, wherever they feel um, appropriate, to, wherever they decide to... to, to um, put down the roots, uh, and then, of course, uh, there's going to be support with surrounding ministries um, of, that's going to be needed. And I'm looking particularly at Minister Nixon, who's here, who's going to be looking at that transition afterwards for that housing, um, for folks that leave these programs. So lots of integration work needs to be done. I hope that gives you a sense of, of what we have in front of us as a task in the next year and a half, two
2: years. And just to add on to that, um, you know, we don't want to just put the facility anywhere. You know, like a lot of our knowledge and a lot of our training is land-based training, and so land-based knowledge. So, you know, we're we're being selective right now of where that location is going to be uh, because, again, it's not just going to be your typical 28 days in, 28 days out. There may be some sweat, sweat lodges in that area. There may be some – there's holistic healing. And so, you know, not just the building itself – but where are we going to put it? And and that's consultation with our, our our technicians back home as well as our some of our traditional people. But um, but at the same time, we we have people that are in needing to be in care daily, right? We have people that are passing away on a on a weekly basis, unfortunately. And so you know we we can't sit on this long. So like like the minister said, you know we plan on having uh, groundbreaking and 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 ribbon cutting fully be operational. Year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. So a fairly quick process, I think. Yeah, I, and just because the the chief has mentioned a couple
1: times, I should add, we're not looking at short stays exclusively. This this model of treatment allows us to have up to a year stay, um, which is really important for that um, since sustained recovery afterwards, right? And these are folks often who have gone in and out lots of other different treatments, have, have tried lots of other things. So that long stay on the land base with traditional healing um, blended in with the recovery model, that's what we're looking at. Sorry, I don't know, Premier, if you have more to add.
0: Uh, no, just a comment that uh, Chief Crowfoot made when we were talking about part of the approach of building recovery communities is building recovery capacity and why it takes so much longer is so that at the end of the process, there's a, a place for a person to go at the end so that they don't go back to the uh, the the habits and the behaviors that led them to uh, to uh, addiction in the first place and so making sure that people have access to a supportive community uh, a well-paying job that's also i think going to be part and parcel i don't know if you wanted to say more on that chief but i thought that that was important that you're already thinking about where people are going to go Mm
2: -hmm. yeah yeah exactly so it's it's, again the, the facility itself the program itself that's one step it's a big step but that's one step right like um there's 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 other things that gotta be in place. There's other opportunities that, that have to be created. And that's what we're gonna be working towards as we're building this facility, is putting those programs in place. Because again, you know, any any doesn't this isn't first station specific, any any treatment area, if you go back to that same environment and you don't have anything that changes other than you went through a system, chances are you'll probably go back through that system. So we wanna take um what we've learned from uh other other treatment centers and say you know what we, we realize this isn't working and so what can we do what what are opportunities we can put in place What are other programs we can put in place that can be supportive when that person comes out they actually have you know something to do something where to go something you know whatever that is a skill set whatever that may be so those are some of the things that we're going to be working on as we're building this facility
0: and just as a quick follow-up, uh, Chief, you mentioned uh, that you, know, you believe a strong SIXICA makes a stronger Alberta. I'm just looking to get a sense of uh, the scale of the impact that you're hoping to see through uh, this facility
2: uh, and through the programs, both for the nation and for wider Alberta. Uh, well, I won't go into a long story, but there's a, s- a story of a guy and he said, you know what, I'm gonna sh- when he was young, I'm going to change the world, right? So then he gets a little older and says, man, the world's too big to change I'm going to change just my country, years go by as country. So I'm going to change just my province. Well, then I'm just going to change my town. So Bonnie's deathbed, he realizes, if I would have just changed me, then I would have changed my family, I would have changed my community. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, I'm not worried about changing Canada or changing the world. It's too big. If we focus on what we can do at sixty Guy, what can we do? And so in those partnerships – we're focusing on us and as we focus on us we've already have a track record of bringing in our surrounding communities and you know and 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 calgary and other places like that so i i strongly believe that the more we 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 have that fix ourselves and and get our 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 foundation solid um you know that's gonna that's gonna bleed out that's gonna bleed out to calgary that's gonna bleed out to alberta that's gonna bleed out to canada so that's kind of what i meant by that like you know I don't think we should. I don't think we're looking at the approach of okay, we're going to change the world. All right, let's focus. Let's focus at home. Let's fix the foundation at home. And as we fix the foundation at home, you know that's going to spread out to our surrounding neighbors. That's going to spread out to the province. That's going to spread out to Canada.
3: Thank you. Thanks, John. And we have time for one more question. So go.
5: And with Canada uh, RDI, I guess I've got. My question and my follow-up in the same question. Um, part of the Alberta approach is involuntary treatment. Here we're talking about holistic approach, an approach that includes traditional way of doing things to treat addiction. So I guess my question is for both Minister Williams and Chief Crowfoot, like how do you co- reconcile the two together, and would those facilities have involuntary treatment as well? And how does that approach? fit with your community and the historical aspect of involuntary treatment and being put in facility without consent.
0: Well, let me start uh, by talking about uh, the uh, proposal that we're um, exploring for having treatment orders. We, we already have that for young people and we do also have, through the Mental Health Act, the ability to uh, order somebody who's a, at risk to themselves or others into a facility for a limited period of time in order to get the treatment that they need. There are processes in place that require a judge to to issue the order and and that's we want to make sure that there uh that all the legalities are followed. So it'll take us a little bit of time to develop that that legislation for the framework. But that would be the notion behind it is that we're looking more at the kind of model that we see in Portugal, where there are dissuasion uh, commissions, where a person who is repeatedly overdosing, repeatedly committing crimes to support themselves, repeatedly causing harm to others, have the ability to come forward to a panel to be encouraged to go into treatment, and at some point, yeah, we will uh, uh, get to a, a point where family, uh, police officers, doctors will say, "I will go to court to to achieve a, a treatment order." It's not the first resort. It's the last resort because as I, I think Dan said very well, that there really there really are only two pathways. It, it, one leads to devastation, the other leads to recovery. And the sooner we can get people on the pathway to recovery, the sooner we can get uh, their lives back. I should also mention Dan speaks French, so if you need it in French as well, you yeah,
1: we'll can do that, that afterwards after as we've... well. But no, I just wanted
0: to frame that out. <laughs> yeah. Is Thank that you
1: for volunteering.
0: My, uh... <laughs> well, you, did, you were our, our parliamentary secretary for Francophonie, so I want to make sure you got some practice in. But the, um, so so our approach would be that we... we I don't want anybody to think that... This This is a single approach. It's a recovery-oriented system. It's a system by, by nature. One part of the system... Is making sure that people have immediate access to 211 so that they can call and get same day counseling. Making sure that there is no cost when they do get a treatment bed. That's why we removed the forty dollars. Uh, the additional is the virtual opioid dependency program, so people can call in and get a drug that will allow them to immediately replace their dependence on opioids. We can we can do that uh, right now as well. Then on top of that, expanding the number of beds that we have. And the, this aspect that we're announcing today is partnering with First Nations so that we can build out the recovery communities. And the final step will be if none of that works and we do have somebody who is repeatedly causing harm to themselves or others to create a, a
1: mechanism for, for a treatment order. Dan? Yeah. Sure. I think the Premier put it very well. Uh, the truth is we have uh, a crisis with this deadly disease of addiction that's ravishing communities. Uh, and, and we're called to act. Of course we are. And that's why we, we have this entire Alberta model that has recovery at the center of it. Uh, and, and we have other acts that give us an idea of what this could look like. We look at P. Chad, as the, minister, as the Premier mentioned, for youth. Or we look at the Mental Health Act. Uh, and that important legal requirement that that I want to focus this around, and there'll be lots of exploring as we go, is that harm to yourself or others, mm-hmm. right? And so there's, there's an idea of where that can come from. This isn't novel uh, in our societies. We have lots of tools in our toolbox um, to try and deal with this. A lot of it hasn't been working. I don't believe the right spot for somebody in crisis with an addiction is a jail cell. I don't think that kind of involuntary locking them up is the right way to deal with this problem. I don't think that's compassionate. I don't think it's compassionate to leave these people on the street sidewalk, where every family member I've met in my short two weeks of this of this role are begging me, please, can we please deal with these people? Can we can we help my family members somehow get help? Right, that's compassionate. So with substantive oversight with the right legal requirements with not the criminal justice system but a civil court and as a last resort as the premier said i think this is the response that a compassionate society takes okay. to what is ravaging our community
5: but there is a sensibility doing that in the first nation and forcing people into treatment and that's kind of where i kind of wanted you to um, address and chief growth yeah. i'd like to hear you on that as well well, before, how, how I, do you,
0: yeah. before I hand it over to the chief, the way um, it's it's being um, discussed around the table when we talk about it is that the dissuasion commissions would have two arms that if they're, if a person is non-indigenous, it would be non-indigenous panelists who are holding them to account. If they are indigenous, it would be indigenous elders who are assisting and holding them to account. Every part of what we want to do is going to be culturally sensitive and make sure that it's appropriate to the community. Chief?
2: Yeah, I, I'm not going to speak from an indigenous because, you know, when you say indigenous, there's 600 nations across Canada. But in Six God, our, our way is more extreme than, than what they're mentioning. Our way is to intervene. You know, like, um, you know, our way is to, uh, as, you know, a community raises a child. We don't, we're not, we're not raised to sit back and to let somebody um, self-destruct. You know, our ways are to pull them in and to say, you know what, uh, Nishkani, or, you know, what's going on? So, um, you know, I, I our, our, our way is, is to intervene. You know, if I had um, my son out doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing, you know, I just can't just let him keep doing it. You know, I have to pull him in and say, hey, what's, what's going on? So th- that very well is, is our way, you know, and I think we've gotten away. From that, as a society, I don't want to go too far down a philosophical standpoint here, but we, we, we've we've kind of, as a society, said, you know what? Everybody can do what they want to do, and there's no accountability. And as a result of no accountability, you know, there's no consequences. We live in a world of no consequences because nobody wants to be offended, and uh, and and that's a problem. So as sixty guy, we don't we didn't worry about if Johnny was offended. We're worrying about, you know what, Johnny, you're disrupting yourself. We need to help you to help yourself. So a lot of times when we had the earlier press conference uh, right before the election, the two young ladies that stood up, they were thankful for that intervention by their family because when they're in that state of mind, that's not Johnny. That's not Susie. Their their mind is taken over by a, a drug. And so, you know, if you're, if, if, if me as a chief or us as a council, we know somebody's, you know, suffering from that and habitually suffering from that, you know, why would we stand back and go, oh, well, that's Johnny's choice. And then we go to Johnny's funeral and go, oh, we should, we should have, we should have done something. So we, we want to be able to do something before we're going to funerals. You know, I would much rather visit Johnny in the rehab center than in the morgue. And um, and so, again, I'm not gonna speak for indigenous people, but for Siksigah, our way is to intervene. Our way is to pull somebody in, even at the society level, and we won't get into that, but but you know, that's the role of the elders. That's why we always include elders, because that's the teachings of the elders, is to be able to pull each one in and say, hey, you're, you're messing up. You know, as chief of Siksigah, in Blackfoot, it's Nina, which is the father. So in Ninakes, we're the fathers of our people. So even though somebody might be years older than me, I have the role of the father of the people. So I'm supposed to grab that person and say, hey, Johnny, what's going on? So that's our role. That's, that's Sixi way is to intervene. And uh, especially if somebody that is um, having a habitual issue and, um, habitual harm to themselves or to the community. We wanna, again, you talk about holistic. How is that not holistic? We're trying to make the community whole. And if we have people that are individuals that are harming themselves and harming the community, why would we just sit back and go, well, that's Johnny's choice. They're not not just harming them. When somebody overdoses and dies of an overdose, that person is not the only person that got harmed. Their mom, their father, their family, their best friends, their whole family, a whole community is affected by that. So for us to just sit back and go, well, that's Johnny's choice. Well, to a point, it's, it, it's not. To a point, it's the communities. And it's the onus of the people to say, Hold. And so if you go back traditionally, that's what we traditionally did. We traditionally pulled people in and said, I see you're going down a path that, that may be the self-destructive. So let's help out with this. And so this is some of the, uh, the ways that, that, that we have at Sixty Guy, and these are some of the programs that we're going to institute. Now, like the Premier said, we're not just going to grab people off the street and just throw them in like it's jail, but you know, we have uh, programs already at Sixty Guy, Escobimo Geeks, which is mediation and those kind of things. That, so we already have some of these programs in place. So that's, that's been our way for a long time. It's always been our way to help when we see somebody going astray to Try to pull that person back in. You know, you, you go, if you pull them back in right off the bat, then, then it's easier to bring them back in. But if you wait till they're way out of alignment, it's a lot harder to bring them back into alignment. So, um, and again, it's not my job. It's our job as the community. As when you start talking about talk, holistic, that's the whole community. The community raises the person kind of, kind of the concept.
5: And, if and
3: uh, we are running up to time, so we have time for a follow-up, so I think that's where we're going to end it, unless Premier Minister want to jump in really quickly.
0: Well, maybe you can, if you need uh, anything in French, maybe you can get Dan afterwards. afterwards. You got it. Sure. Thanks, everyone.
3: Perfect. Thank you. Thank you.